0: Thanks for joining us again, and let's get to the service. Um, and well, as I mentioned before, you would recognize this box as the box we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks in this series that I've been exploring called What Happy Couples Know. And now I acknowledge, as I've said previously, not everyone is, in a, is a couple. Not everyone is in a, a relationship of some sort of significant commitment. But I do believe that these principles, the things that we have been talking about, are relevant whether you are a, uh, engaged, whether you are married, whether you were married and you're not anymore, whether you had never any intention of being married whether you are scoping out what it might look like to be in a relationship one day, or whether you've given relationships a wide berth for some time. I believe that all of this is relevant to us. And the feedback that I have received from the series so far is that that is the case. we got some folks I know that aren't in um, long-term Committed intimate relationships anymore, but I've said, Oh, I was able to give some advice to someone. I was able to speak some wisdom into my children or my grandchildren's life and relationships. I was able to offer something of significance. And so I invite you, regardless of where you're at in this idea, there's something I believe God wants to teach you this morning about relationships that can be applied far broader than just the intimate relationships you're involved in, but also. It's worth noting, sometimes what God wants to teach us is not about us. That's something we've talked about previously, is that the gifts we, are, we receive from God can often be made use of by God to bless the world around us. For we are blessed to be a blessing, right? That's the calling of the Christian life. And so, I, call, I invite you to consider all that that might look like so, but what we did, it, what we have explored, and I'm going to super quick recap on this. Well, this is our box of hopes, dreams, and desires. We've all got one. And that box has all sorts of things in it that, as we approach a relationship, we have a bunch of hopes, dreams, and desires the things that we might want to see come to pass. What sort of car we're going to drive, or what sort of car our partner's going to drive, because we're going to keep ours. We're keeping the convertible, and they're going to have to get the SUV or the minivan. Where are we traveling? What are we going to do? Are we travelling before or after kids? And are we flying or are we a cruising sort of family? We might have some expectations about what our holidays are going to look like. Or are we caravanning? Or tenting? Represent those that love camping. It's not, I'm not that guy. But then kids, how many? How many kids are we going to have? Are we 1, two, five, seven, 12? Shout out up the back. 12 kids, maybe? None. That's an expectation. What else have we talked about? Pets, we've talked about whether we're going to have a pet, what type of pet, is it going to be a dog, a cat, a rabbit, a pig, a mouse, a ferret, how many of them, who's cooking, what are they cooking, how are they cooking, who's doing the dishes? All of those things are examples of the sort of expectations we bring into relationships. The sorts of things that are, in our mind, hopes, dreams and desires. The way that we would hope that the world will be as a part of a relationship. And what we've already said before is that this box is not actually a bad thing. We've all got one and it's shaped by our family of origin, it's shaped by our experiences, our hopes, our dreams, it's shaped by magazine articles that we have seen television shows that we've watched. All of our formation, personally, as human beings, serves to shape this. But it's also not just physical stuff, and this is something I I haven't really brought up till now, but there's some other things in our box of hopes, dreams, and desires that, when we think about it, are absolutely true of being present there, and it's the intangible things. The intangible things that aren't necessarily about the... things we're going to do, or the stuff we're going to have. But instead, it's things like, well, in my relationship, in my marriage, I want to be prioritised. I don't want to be sharing time with Eloise, my wife. I don't want to be competing with her dance obsession as her husband. I want to, I want to be the priority in the relationship as it pertains to her and, and her interests. I want to be the number one on the interest. Board of her life, don't you? Not of Eloise, that's different. But your spouse, your partner, your whatever, you want to be number one there. Now, caveat Jesus has got to be number one. So maybe let's say that's number two. I want to be prioritized. I want to be respected, don't you? I want to experience admiration. I want to be admired in some way. I want to be looked up to. We want to be protected both physically but also emotionally and relationally. When when someone speaks badly of me to my wife, I want her to protect me, protect my reputation, protect my honour in some sense of going, well, that's actually not what he's like. That's the sort of thing we would expect, isn't it? That's the sort of thing that might be in our hopes. We might want to be affirmed a lot. If you've ever done the love languages type stuff, the books in and around all of that content, it talks about love languages, things that we, uh, other things that, the ways we receive love best. Mine is words of affirmation. I really appreciate being affirmed. You could buy me like a a gift or something and it would be great. What I really need you to tell me is that you appreciate what I do. That's how I feel loved. So, for me, affirmation is absolutely in my box of hopes, dreams and desires. What about trust? Do you expect to be able to trust your partner, your spouse? Do you expect them to trust you? You're not going to text five minutes after you finished work, where are you? That might have triggered a couple of people, I don't know, but we, what we expect there's a level of trust in the relationship. See, this box of hopes, dreams, and desires is not unreasonable. A lot of those things are good things, but the problem is when we give this box to someone in a relationship, we give it as hopes, dreams, and desires, and then you all know what's coming. But that's not how it's received. See, I could, I'll grab this box and I give it to Eloise. What I see is hopes, dreams, and desires. What does she see? She sees expectations. And all that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is that when we receive those expectations, ultimately they become a barrier to intimacy. Because when you've got expectations, what ends up happening is we feel like people owe us something. And when you owe someone something, you can't bless them. All you end up doing is paying off the debt, and that ends up being a barrier to intimacy. So what we've talked about so far is the two things that happy couples know. And happy couples know that they don't owe me anything. Happy couples know that the other person doesn't owe them anything. But then happy couples also know, and we explore this in the second week, happy couples know that there is a, a strange dynamic, At work called mutual submission. Is the happy couples know that whilst they are not owed anything, they give everything to the other. They give everything to the other as a way of living out love and life the way Jesus did. Do you remember the term that I used last week for this? A relationship is a submission competition. And that that is the calling of the Christian relationship. That That is the calling of the Christian life. And you remember, I finished with the idea that as far as it's up to us, when we find ourselves in the to and fro, the tug of war of expectations and what we hope the other person would do and owe us and seek to achieve in our life, the calling upon us as followers of Jesus is to be the first one to drop the rope, the first one to let go and let God. And that's hard sometimes. In fact, it's hard every time. But we know, and happy couples know, that it is a submission competition. And so, the big question that I want to answer for today, and it's a question that many of you have asked me over the last couple of weeks, and it's, okay, Josh, that's great, but what I've got, I've got this box, and in many ways, the things that are in that box are God-given. In many ways, the, the things that are in this box are not bad at all. In fact, they are good. They're good things. It's good and reasonable to, to want and have hopes and dreams around the things that are in this box. So if I'm not meant to give it to my spouse or my partner, who do I give it to? What do I do with this box that I have? How am I meant to navigate all of this if I don't give it to my spouse? What do we do with our box? And that's the question that I want to answer with the rest of our time today. And to answer the question, I want us to journey to the New Testament, to a letter written by the Apostle Peter. If you're not familiar with Peter, he's probably one of the most famous people in the New Testament, and in fact, probably one of the most famous people in all of Scripture, mostly because he screws things up. He denied Jesus, that's probably the one he's most famous for, At Jesus, during Jesus' trial and just before his crucifixion. He gets accused of being a follower, and he says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Didn't know the guy three times, Jesus predicted that and so there's a whole, whole thing going on there. But it turns out that he's restored into relationship with, with Jesus after the resurrection and he becomes really the first pope. That's Church tradition understands that he's the first head of the church, that's his job. And he writes some letters in the first century giving some advice, saying, oh, I've journeyed with Jesus, I've seen what He taught. He journeyed with Him, basically living in his, Jesus' pocket for, for three years of public ministry, and he learned some stuff, and he, he, writes to, he writes to the early church, offering some insights, and we believe this letter that he wrote went far more broadly than just a specific church in a specific location. Many of the letters were written to be circulated to the early church. And so, the, the advice that Peter gives us in this passage, bit of a caveat before I, uh, I jump into it. The advice that Peter gives us in this passage is very Christian. Good. This is a church. It should be Christian. But I I want to begin by acknowledging that. So, before you roll your eyes and go, yeah, okay, Josh, of course this is what we do. It's like saying, you should read your Bible. Yes, of course we should. You should pray. Yes, of course we should. I want to acknowledge on the front end of things that what Peter suggests that we do in the context of relationships, when it comes to, really, what we do with our expectations... A Box of Hopes, Dreams and Desires. It's a very Christian response. But what I want to offer to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're tuning in online or whatever, what I want to offer to you is the reason I think this is good advice, regardless of whether you follow Jesus or not, regardless of whether you believe that a prayer makes any difference. I think and believe this is good advice for one reason and one reason only. And that is, if you don't do what Peter suggests, you have to do something else. You've got to do something. If you don't do what Peter offers, then you have to do something else. And as I sat and thought about it, and I think there are three things that we can do if we don't do what Peter asks and suggests of us. Because we've got to do something with this box of hopes, dreams and desires. So, if you don't do this, you you're left with three options. Firstly, you can ignore this box. We've all got one and if we're not meant to give it to our spouse, we just hold on to it. We never tell them what's in it and we just ignore what's in it. The hopes, the dreams, the great things, the great plans, the great desires of our heart. We just ignore it. We stuff it down and we just let it fester. Got to ask you, how do you think that goes? We all know it. You can only apply so much pressure to something before it eventually gives out. You ever put too much air in a tire? When I first started cycling, I have a road, cycle, road bike, and it takes 120 psi. That's a lot of air. It's a lot of pressure compared to like a car tire, which is 35 to 40 PSI. And I remember when I pumped it for the first time, I'm like, this is going, it's just going. And I realized that the rim wasn't on properly. And at about 110 PSI, bang! I nearly had a heart attack. I was only 21 at the time, 22 at the time. And you nearly lost me then. I nearly lost some of you now. Just then, (laughs) under too much pressure, it's got no choice but to get out somewhere. And for some of us, what we've been doing is we've been, instead of, we haven't given our box over to another person, instead, we've just stuffed it down into the very pit of our being. But eventually, it comes out. And it comes out as anger, and it comes out as frustration, it comes out as resentment and bitterness, and all of those things. And we've seen it, haven't we? When our expectations are not met and we just ignore them and we just let it slide, just let it slide, let it slide and eventually it all comes crashing down. So our first option is just to ignore our box of hopes, dreams and the desires. The second one, which if we're honest, we do more than we like to admit, is we numb it. We numb it. What do I mean by that? Well, historically, it's been known as substance abuse. We find our our substance of choice, historically, the ones that have been on the chopping block are things like alcohol, things like drugs, either prescription or illicit drugs, things like pornography, and we use those things to numb our senses so that we don't feel anymore, and we just use them to ignore the stuff that we've got going on, with the hope that one day it'll just go away. But if I want to be real with you right now, I would suggest that while those things are the ones that land on the, you know, the judgment block, I'd say that in our era of the world, plenty of us are numbing our hopes, dreams and desires with social media, with Instagram and, and Facebook and just scrolling the endless feed. We numb it with reading books so we can escape. We numb it with binging Netflix or some random sort of TV show just so that we don't have to feel any more. We drug it with caffeine or we just binge eat. All of those things are the same thing. They are attempts to numb the feelings of discontentment and emptiness inside us based on the lack of, or the absence of, fulfilled hopes, dreams and desires. So, that's option two. Anyone want that one? So, no one want, anyone want the first one? Stuff it down. Anyone want the second one? Can I go to the second one? Second one? Second one? No? Alright, let's try number three. Run away. Our box of hopes, dreams and desires, we're not going to... We can't give it to this person, it's not working. So what do we do? We take it to another relationship. Friends, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest and transparent, so Eloise and I, we've been married for 15 years this year in August, which is awesome, and I'm grateful for that. But my journey growing up, and many of you know this, these, my, my journey, is that um, uh, there's divorces in my history. My mum and dad divorced when I was about five and a half or thereabouts. Separated then, divorced when I was about six, and my mum remarried, and then she divorced again when I was about fifteen, and now, by God's grace, she's happily married again, which is great. But my observation over that time, and I'm not talking out of school. Mum and I have talked about this um, significantly over the years. My observation is that when we are struggling to have our hopes and our dreams and our desires met and we leave a rela- we run away from that relationship, we get divorced or we just, if we're not married, we just run away, what do we do with the- that box? Well, we take it over to the next relationship and we, and we for- just try and find someone to meet our hopes, dreams and desires. That's what we do. Because no one, no one leaves or runs away from a relationship. Now, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about the breaking of the covenant, things like that, which we can explore another day. I'm talking about purely not getting what we want met by this person. We take that box and we find someone else to give it to. And when we find that new relationship, we don't enter that relationship just desperately hoping to meet someone else's needs, do we? To find someone else to meet their needs. We enter that relationship, we're searching for someone to meet our needs, aren't we? And so that's what we do. When we get our needs and our hopes and dreams and desires unmet, we find a new relationship sometimes. When it's really bad, we find a new relationship and have a crack at getting them to do what we want them to do. Now, that's a reality, and it happens. And sometimes there's very good reasons for that. And if that's part of your story, and you told me your story, I'd go, man, I'd be just about willing to give you a pass myself. But it's not the picture God gives us of life-giving relationship. And so if we're not content to do number one, stuff it down. If we're not content to do number two, numb it with substance of choice. And if we don't, we don't think it's the right thing to run away. And if I'm honest, if you're married, I don't think it's the right thing for you to run away. I think you're committed, and I think there's some stuff you've got to work through. If I'm honest, so if those are not the options, then all we've got left is to take Peter's advice. So, what is Peter's advice? Now that I've thoroughly convinced you, this is the only way forward. He picks up in verse. Uh, we're in First Peter, chapter five. And actually, I actually want to pick up halfway through the verse because the top of this verse relates to something he was talking about previously. All of you, he says, based on everything Peter has learned about what it means to show love in relationships, he says, all of you. Anyone excluded from that? No, no. All okay. All of you. Great. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Clothe yourselves with humility. Now we talked about this before recently, haven't we? That we all have the f- we all need to get dressed, don't we? You all succeeded at doing that this morning. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's just part of existing in the world. You've got to get dressed. You got you got to be dressed in something. And so, Peter says, well, if you're going to get dressed, clothe yourselves with something that matters. Clothe yourselves with humility. Now, humility, as we understand it, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not, not seeking to be first, but instead seeking to put the other person first. That's everything we've just talked about, isn't it? That's that's the submission competition. It's clothing yourself with humility, he says. This is the way that we get this right. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Now, I wonder, do you feel like being humble all the time? I'm just curious. No, thank you. At least one person's honest. No, I don't want to be humble all the time. In fact, I don't want to be humble any of the time. If I'm honest, I would love to cruise through the world with life about me. Just saying. I would love to eat what I want to eat with no consequences. I would love to to go where I want to go with no consequences. I would ultimately love to travel to places with no cost. I would love, I would love, I would love, and can anyone tell me that you're any different? That if all things were equal, you would ultimately live your life the way that you want to live it, right? That's part of human nature. But Peter says, no, no, you need to clothe yourselves with humility, you need to consider other people before yourself. That's how we get this whole relationship thing right. And so my question for you is, what do we do when we don't feel like being humble? Do you know what we do? You do it anyway. When you don't feel like being humble, you be humble. Because you know what I can't tell when you're being humble? I can't tell whether you feel like being humble or not because you're still being humble. Does that make sense? When you put me first, I can't tell whether you want to or not, unless your eye's twitching. I can't tell, because you're just doing it, because that's what matters. It's not necessarily how we feel, but what we do that matters in the world. And neuroscience tells us that when we don't feel like doing something, when we do it anyway, I don't feel like going to the gym, but when I go to the gym, I develop a habit which helps me get to the gym, to be the sort of person that I, want, that, I, that I would hope to be. And so, friends, Peter's challenge here is to put others first. So, when we don't feel like it, the challenge is do it anyway. Why? Because when we do it anyway, by God's Spirit, it actually transforms us rewires our neural pathways to be the sort of person that we are, in a sense, if we're honest, pretending to be. It actually happens. It shapes us over time. So, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Put others first. Why? Why should we do that? And he, says, he goes on and says, because God opposes the proud God opposes the proud but shows favor and the word here is grace shows caris grace to the humble God opposes the proud and shows grace and favor towards those that want to that live out humility. What what does this mean? This means that when we live a proud life God opposes that pride. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in opposition to God, do you? Not actively. And it feels a little bit odd for us to say, oh well, God thought God was meant to be a God of love, but He says that He, but he, says he opposes the proud. But I want, to say, I want to ask you a question, do you oppose the proud? I think you do. When we hear of someone that's all high and mighty and, and, and loves thinking of themselves and, and all that sort of stuff, what do we think of them? Not a, not a fan, not really. We just go, no, I don't. Oh, They just think about themselves all the time. They, like, pick celebrity of choice that you judge for the way they behave. And on the top of that list is pride. Is the what we do not enjoy. In Australia, if we're honest, we enjoy that even less. Call it tall poppy syndrome. As soon as someone's up cut him off at the legs. We oppose the proud in the same way that God opposes the proud. But then he goes on to say, but shows favor to the humble. Peter offers us something. He doesn't just say, be humble and good luck with that. He says, on the other side of humility, there is something that God wants to do. On the other side of pursuing humility, there is something that God wants to birth within each of us. And it's provision. It's the ability to get it right. And it's, it's in a sense, it's kind of like the gift that this obedience of humility offers to us. It's a gift. It's The promise that when we choose humility over arrogance and pride, that God meets us there. God meets us there to provide for us with something powerful. And whilst it might not be anything tangible, we might see that God brings a powerful transformation in our hearts. That when we choose to be humble... When we choose to put others before ourselves, God meets us there, transforms our heart to get it right more often, but I would suggest also gives us what we need to get this stuff right, provides for us in significant ways. And so he continues and he continues and he says so humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then he says and this is, this is what we're called to do with our box cast All your anxieties, or your cares, is the other translation for this. Cast all of your cares on God. Why? Because He cares for you. Cast all your cares on God because He cares for you. So what does this actually look like? Peter says, I get this, all this whole relational thing, you're meant to think of others before yourself, but when you do that, you're left with this box of, of hopes, dreams and desires left unmet. And if we're not meant to give it to the other person, who do we give it to? Peter says, give it to God. Give it to God. Why? Because He cares for you. As a parent, what would you do to help your child journey through the world in a meaningful way? The answer is anything. We will do just about anything to support our children to journey through the world. And if God is a good Father, then God, how much more would God do for us to help us journey through the world? And so Peter says, the only solution is for for you to give what you've got, your hopes, dreams and desires, give them to God because He is big enough to take them. He is big enough to carry them for us. He is big enough to alleviate the pain of those things not being met. And by giving this box to God, do you know what we do? Is we, we realize that God is the one who alone satisfies. Because when we look at all the different bits and pieces that we could put in our box of expectations in life... What we realize is what we're really doing is we're asking or what we're saying that these things are what we need to have purpose and significance and meaning and true joy and happiness in our life. That's what we're saying. And what Peter's saying is that's not where it is. That's, none of this stuff is enough to bring contentment in your life. And some of you know this already is you've seen enough summers and you've tried enough different things to realize that the next big holiday did not give you what you thought it would. That buying that new car didn't bring you the fulfillment that you thought it would. But buying that new caravan, finding that new spouse, whatever it is, inevitably we realize that it did not fill the gap. Why? Because that's a God-shaped hole. And there's only one that can fill that hole. And that is God. And I believe when we cast our cares, when we give our box of hopes, dreams, and desires over to God, we realize that He alone is the one that can fulfill that. And what He gives us back in return is fulfillment, is joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness. It's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. That's what we get in return when we give over this box to the God that is big enough to handle it. And you say, okay, Josh, so what does that really look like then? Well, if I'm honest, it looks like the middle one right there, fervent prayer. That's what it looks like. It looks like praying real prayers before our Heavenly Father. When was the last time you prayed like that to God? Many of us, we were brought up on scripted prayers, we were brought up on reading certain prayers, we were brought up on the Lord's prayer, and those things are good and they have their place, but the thing that happens in meaningful and intimate relationships is sometimes you get angry, sometimes you start shouting, sometimes the frustration gets so great that we start throwing things, and God says, throw them at me. I'm big enough to take it, and when the pressure valve blows, throw it at me. Cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you, and I am the only place that is safe enough to hand it over. That's what Peter offers to us. And so, I wonder, when was the last time you prayed like that? And you go, well, Josh, that's not very godly. We're not meant to shout at God. That's disrespectful. Have you opened the Psalms lately? Two-thirds of the Psalms is David and a couple of other authors getting angry with God about the dissatisfaction of the world. How long have we got? Let me read you something. Psalm 55. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure that. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you talking of another person, a man like myself, my very companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. We went to church together. And we walked about among other worshippers. He's talking about a friend. He's talking about an intimate relative. It was you who hurt me. Wounds of a friend cut deepest, don't they? And he prays to God and he says, let death take my enemy. Let death take this person that's hurt me by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds lodging among them. 21st century translation, send them to hell. You can't say that, we're in church. But as for me, writes David, I call to God and the Lord saves me, evening, morning, and noon. Not just in the car on the way to church, or not just in the car driving somewhere or while I'm doing the dishes. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and what happens? He ignores me. No, He hears my voice, He rescues me, unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. And this God who is enthroned from old, who does not change His justice is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will hear. And He will humble them. He will bring justice upon those who hurt others. Why? Because they've got no fear of God. And so, my a companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter. You ever had an argument with someone and you were so sure you knew what you were going to say that would make you right? And you finish the conversation and you go, How did I end up wrong again? Anyone ever had a conversation like that? Absolutely. Professional debaters out there that they just know how to twist. words, they know how to frame it perfectly and before you know it, you realise that you're wrong again. But hang on, they cheated on you and somehow it's your fault? Their words are as smooth as butter, yet war is in their heart. Their words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords." And so, picking up, this is where Peter gets his quote from. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. If you're centered on him, he will not let you down. He will give you the strength when you do the illogical thing. He will sustain you. That's the promise. Then he jumps back into some rage. He goes, but you, God, will bring down the wicked to the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. And if I haven't... That's pretty raw, isn't it? When was the last time you prayed to God that someone would go to hell? Maybe you haven't, maybe... You're a bit too polite for that. And that's okay. It's not required. But what it tells us is that we have the freedom. David, who was a man after God's own heart, if he prayed like that, we get to pray like that. And I believe that's what it looks like to cast our cares upon the Lord. Because He cares for us. And I've got to be honest, God wants us to be real with Him. How, how intimate can a relationship possibly be if one person projects something all the time? If we just pray nice prayers to God, how good could the relationship be? If you just talked about surface things with your spouse, how, how deep is the relationship ever going to get? It won't. God invites us to pray fervently, with passion, with intensity, tell him what's really going on because he's the only safe person to hold these, these things for us, knowing that they might never get fulfilled. And God's response is that's okay. Because remember, I'm enough, and you're enough without them. So what do we do? What do happy couples know? Happy couples know that happy couples know that people don't owe us anything. But instead the invitation is that we would give everything. It's a submission competition. And happy couples know that sometimes it's okay to throw things but not at one another, we throw them at God. Because He's the only safe place. He's the only one you can throw stuff at and not end up in jail. He's the safe place. And we realize that when we do that, what God blesses us with in return is the contentment, the joy, and the happiness that we really need in this world, but that isn't found in seeing this fulfilled but is instead found in a meaningful relationship with the one who created us. So let's pray together. Loving God, I thank you. I thank you for the invitation that when we do not know what to do, you are there. We thank you for the invitation that when we are at the end of our rope, that when we've filled our box of expectations and we want to give it to someone else but we can't, you've called us to a better way, Lord, that you give us an option, you give us an out, you give us a solution and that is that we give it to you. And Lord, if we're honest, that's hard. But give us the courage to have a go. Because Lord, your promise is that there's there's no condemnation when we shout at you. You don't think any less of us, because you know what's in our heart anyway. Instead, like a proud father, I believe that you smile and you go, okay, I received that. How's that feel now? So Lord, give us the courage to do this. Trusting in the promise that when we do, when we cast our cares on You, You gift us fulfillment, meaning and significance. Help us to get this right in our relationships. And Lord, forgive us if we have been for so many years been trying to stuff this down, numb it, or just run away from one relationship to the next. Lord, I pray that you would help us confront the reality of what we have been doing and realize there is only one life-giving way forward, and that is with you. Help us, Lord, give us the wisdom and the courage to live this out. In your name we pray. Amen.